Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. The legislature has officially wrapped up. I missed out last week. You boys were wonderful. Gentlemen, what should we call you? We rocked it. We did nice it. We did men. the job. We missed yes, you. it was good. So I'm glad Brian Malahi had fun with you too. I'm back from a nice week in Florida. And if you're watching on TV, hopefully I look less white. So that's that's the good part. We've got a ton we want to talk about this week because uh, there are a lot of issues. Well, the uh, legislature wrapped up. They only meet for 45 days. Should be they going longer? Also, we've got some rumor mill stuff <laughs> going on. Chris Stewart, does he have bigger things in mind? John Huntsman, is he going to stay in Russia forever? Maybe is he running for something again? We're talking about millions and millions of dollars. We've got to touch college basketball, uh, executive orders by the president, and a possible 2020 debate with the presidential hopefuls here in Utah. So let's start with March Madness because that's going on now. Utah State, the only school in the state that's actually playing, and they're doing it this afternoon. What happened, boys? How far we have come <laughs> from the college world center of basketball. We'd have four or five teams get in. We, except for Utah State, thank you, Logan, we're mediocre at best. I know, they had a great year football and basketball, so. Yeah, you know what, I, I don't know if you feel it, but it's, it's, I think it has its effect on, on the excitement, too. I don't think fan excitement or enthusiasm is as high as it's been in years past, and the, the output or the outcome from the teams haven't been what we've been used to in the past. And so I think, you know, we see these great, the tournament started, everybody's filled out their brackets, or have they? I haven't filled out a bracket this year, and I'm kind of like, eh. Have you filled out a bracket? I don't. I've never filled out a bracket. I, I, nobody will play with me. No. Nope. <laughs> You're easy money. I would play. I should have done a bracket against you alone. That would have been good. I would have collected. I've I, never filled one out because I don't follow. Last night I saw a number two on the screen and I thought it was quarter and I'm like, how are they only there? I don't even know that college basketball plays with two halves as opposed to quarters. I watched <laughs> the NBA. I played in middle school. The in between stuff. I'm I'm not very good. I'm at. sick and tired though of the disrespect for Gonzaga. So you watch that. I mean, one of the late talk, late night guys saying there really is no Gonzaga University. It's all just made up. Well, we'll we'll see. Okay. We'll leave Salt okay. Lake. All right. Well, I'm pulling for the Aggies to be the Cinderella team. I'm an Aggie mom. So go USU. While we're talking about college, this is a late minute throw into the podcast, but I think it's worth talking about our universities and students that have massive, massive debt. I remember when I graduated from college, I was very careful, but I remember graduating with a thousand dollars debt. School was a lot cheaper than it's expensive now, Greg. It is. it is. And so there's a statistic, a disturbing one that says there's more college debt, student debt, uh, than there is credit card debt. Now I'll tell you, there's a lot more people that have credit cards than there are students who have tuition they have to pay uh, back by way of debt. For that debt, for college tuition to be higher nationally than credit card debt, that's pretty daunting and I think it's daunting for any student trying to get into that job market. We've seen, I love, I love our institutions of higher learning, I'm a big fan, uh, but something has to be done. I think Utah's uh, tuition comparatively is very, as a parent who pays it, 
for their their, their child, I, I feel it's more, far more reasonable than other states. But collectively, it is weighing down this emerging workforce in a way that can't help. Yeah, if kids are going to school for four years, depending where you go, it can be forty to eighty thousand dollars without scholarships. So, Jim, this week President Trump tried to put some kind of cap on maybe the loans you could get. If you're going to college, will that help at all? Make universities rein in how much they're Only charging? to Trump University, though, is the problem. <laughs> does that exist anymore? I don't uh, think it does. Look, it's a serious issue, and like many things that don't go well, it's the legislature and the governor's fault here in the state of Utah. We have a whole generation of 20 to 30-year-olds that are doing nothing for the Utah economy except paying back student loans. $800, $900, $1,000 a month. They're not buying houses, they're not buying cars, they're not in furniture stores, and that hurts our economy. And here's, the, here's why the legislature has screwed this up. Traditionally in Utah, 65% of the cost of running our state institutions was paid for by the state. We took that as a burden, we took it as a responsibility. It was our gift that we had received and we passed it along to the next generation. Call it socialism or whatever. It makes for a better civilization. 2007 and 8, the state decided, uh-uh, we want the burden on the backs of our own children. And we're fighting now 50%. It's gone below 50%. We're back up over 50% a little bit. But now the state is not picking up its fair share of the tuition burden, of the, of, the, of the burden of running the schools. And until we get back there, this is a terrible burden we're putting on the backs of our own children. Look, they, these, the Board of Regents, the individual schools, they look at tuition increases for their students. Uh, if, they, if we want the state's portion that it's putting in every year to represent 65% gym, then the schools shouldn't be looking to raise the tuition on students. There's a, there's a relationship there. Uh, there is, I would say, what I worry about is the appetite. Uh, for higher education in terms of its spending, in terms of its uh, what it needs from the legislature every year. I, I don't know that it's a sustainable track. Again, I'm not as worried. Utah has very reasonable tuition compared to the, the states that have thirty, uh, dollars $40,000 a year. And, and I don't think that's what we're seeing uh, here in Utah. But that said, student debt nationally, student debt even for our Utah uh, students, you got to be marketable. You got to know you're going to get that high-paying job after you're out of college. And look, I've got a daughter; she's halfway through. I, as a parent, not as a policymaker, but as a parent, I'm not sure that the the her starting wage and her new career uh, will match what it costs to live in a state like Utah, the cost of living, and everything else. So, I do think it's a, a real, real worry. But I think a lot of that responsibility also lays at the feet of our institutions of higher learning in terms of how much they would like by way of funding as this economy changes and the world changes. It seems to me we're passing out free checks sometimes too. When one university asks for a pay increase or a tuition increase, all of them follow suit and there's not a lot of checks and balances making sure that they really need Look, that here's money. Here's what's going to sound conservative and uh, you know, I know we got to. All right, that's okay. okay. We've been working for this. This is a big, I've, I've worked, I've waited weeks for this. All right. Look, one of the problems is this free money. I mean, you give to a 17, 18, 19 year old, say, hey, just sign here and you get the money. And if you actually want to use it for a car, nobody really knows the difference. It's all fungible. You know, that no doubt has had some, I don't know the answer because we really need money available to kids that need it. But 
there you have it. Yeah, talk to your kids too. It's important that kids understand too what loans are and how they're paid back yeah. because a lot of times they don't relate sometimes Woo! what they're getting into. So a good talk when you're talking about drugs and sex with your kids. How about some college tuition along with too? So yeah. there we go, loans. All right, let's talk rumor mill because this is kind of fun. Uh, Utah doesn't have any big names right now in the Trump administration. We heard Rob Bishop's name for a little while, possibly uh, as a possible secretary gig, but didn't get it. Um, we have nobody, Heidi. It's embarrassing. This holy to Trump state, <laughs> we have nobody close in in the White House. We've got no cabinet secretaries. We don't have any deputy. We don't have any... There's nobody of influence in Washington in the Trump administration. That's probably why he goes off the edge so often. I just find it interesting that one guy we had got fired because problems with his wife, and he was really close. He was the secretary to the president. But I, oh, I've. Porter, they had worked for Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know why we don't have anybody, but apparently we're going to get somebody. All right, so who is this somebody going to be? Would you like to tell us? The rumor uh, is, but I want to say there have been within the administration, there has been great uh, Greg Sheehan. He was uh, with our Department of Natural Resources. Yeah. He was uh, U.S. Uh, wildlife. And we have some places where we've had some Utahns, I think, have made a difference within the administration, but certainly not the cabinet level position. No, we don't have a governor level in health yes, and human services. That or anything. could change uh, as discussions, I think, are going on with uh, with uh, Congressman Chris Stewart. Okay, what would Chris but Stewart do? Potentially, he would be the Secretary of the Air Force. He served, he was a pilot, he was in the Air Force, and uh, he's on the uh, Intelligence Committee uh, in, in, the, in Congress, and his name was batted around before when, uh, when President Trump chose someone else to be Secretary of the Air Force. Uh, she has, is, is stepping down from that post. They are looking to, to put a new nominee in, uh, in forward, and I, that is the word that he is in discussions, and. Uh, is being seriously considered. All right, you heard it here. Sources close to Greg Hughes say <laughs> we could have a position. You're dying to tell us about another one. No? I don't even know what you're talking about. Yes, All you right, do. yes, you There's do. I one. saw a tweet from you. Uh, but look, from Moscow to Moab, people are talking about John Huntsman, who really has the the worst job in sports, to be between Putin and Trump. I mean, thank goodness he's a great diplomat and a wonderful human being, because that's an impossible job. Anyway, the rumor is that he's coming home, he's gonna run for governor again. Can you believe that? Uh, now, we've had, you've seen this in other states where someone who has served as governor comes back. Uh, who is it? Uh, governor Moonbeam from- uh, Chester from, A. Arthur. From, from, no, from California. Uh, Brown? Brown, he, yeah. He served Jerry in, Brown. At, at different, Jerry Brown served at different times. Look, I think Governor Huntsman was a great governor. I think that his public service extended beyond that when he went to China to be the ambassador. Now, truly the toughest job dipl diplomatically in terms of being the ambassador in Russia. Uh, it speaks volumes of his character and his abilities that he is in those uh, crosshairs of some of the hardest and most difficult places in the world. If he would decide to come back and want to run for governor again, I think it's exciting. Look, I love the Huntsman family. Uh, their contribution to our state, even in quiet ways that people don't know, is astronomical and it is, we are a better state because of that family. If he comes back and wants to make that decision, 
man, that is going to be exciting. I want to oh. say I won't run if, uh, <laughs> if you won't run. I won't run if John Huntsman. Runs I know a lot of people minute. when you tweeted that I was reading some of their comments were saying, well, what has John Huntsman done for us in Russia? And the way I see it, an ambassador's job is probably to make sure that he's not making headlines. There's quiet meetings that control chaos and keep it gone. But he did just return two LDS missionaries to their families that were in prison for, I think, three weeks. And there's been no war with Russia. I mean, I'm, I give John credit for that. I'm telling you, <laughs> okay, it's a tough Mr. Kid. Hughes, though, uh, when Huntsman <laughs> left as governor, he went to work for President Obama, which didn't sit well with a lot of Utahns. They were not happy. He was newly elected. He left to go work for what they believe was the enemy. Has time healed those wounds if he were to come you know back? I, I will tell you this. I think it would be uh, a little tougher uh, for, for John Huntsman Jr. When he comes back after the, the, uh, the service, I don't think that it's the... Uh, serving for a Democrat administration that would be uh, different for uh, John Huntsman coming back and considering running for governor. But I do think that as the family is left and you see his children grow up and you see one that's on a national network uh, program. And I don't know that people feel that the Huntsman or at least John Huntsman Jr. has been as connected to Utah. Uh, has he run away from the state? Is he still as uh, intertwined with the culture and the people of this state as, as, uh, they, as he was when he ran in 04? I think that those are kind of questions that will percolate. It's a big but plus. But I I'll tell you, I think he's incredibly, uh, he's, he is who he is. And I think he will reconnect very quickly. He has taken uh, jobs around the world, but I think he can re reconnect very quickly. We should say this is a rumor. I mean, it is a rumor. There, nobody officially has said a word. Not the Huntsman's having. This is just like a little wildfire going on in back rooms. So it's fun you know to talk about. Yeah, All right. Just, I know the family yeah. goes to hires to eat hamburgers when they're in town. So if you see him there, ask him next time he's in town. <laughs> All right. We've got to talk about the legislative session for a second. There's talk about possibly making it longer. I don't know if Utah's the shortest. If it's not, it's got to be close with 45 days. Jim, should we make it longer? Should we make it at a longer session? Hell no. <laughs> Are you kidding? The I like language, to see Jim. five days every five years to limit the damage that they do. What, um, 600 bills passed this time? Record number. Goodness. They, it's you a know, lot. they just can't stop themselves. They love big government and making laws and passing things. You should love that thing if it's oh, big government. That's right up your alley. Ooh. You love that. No. Okay, so you were in charge of this. Was 45 yeah. days enough to yeah, do what you needed to do? I'll tell you what, it's getting harder. There's uh, 33 actual working days in those 45 calendar okay. days because we don't come in on the weekends. The um, so the so it's growing. And what used to be the interim or the downtime of the year. Uh, is not really down anymore. There's a continuous effort going on in our legislative branch getting ready for the next six and a half week session. But I think that given that it's such a short amount of time, it has allowed people to step forward and serve as state representatives or senators that typically would not. So you have people from all walks of life, whether they're carpenters, uh, we have police officers, teachers, uh, attorneys, doctors, you have but because it's such a compressed amount of time, I do think you get a great representation of, of Utah's uh, communities. We do if have, it's we longer do have than that, diversity. it's harder to, you'd have to be self, uh, you'd have, you'd to, have be to make a lot of money. wealthy yeah. or, or there's other issues that would come into play. I like the six and a half weeks. I think uh, the necessity uh, drives the good outcomes in terms of you got to, you don't have a lot of time to mess around. You got to get, you got to be get productive. Get her done. We do have great diversity. Every single kind of land developer and real estate <laughs> person there is on the whole spectrum. They're oh, all there. You're That's forgetting the your school is. teachers you and your bus drivers. Oh, please. There's no school teachers there. Well, Retired Carol, ones, yeah, maybe. Maybe if we had the session in the summertime, there. they could yeah. do it. So maybe yeah. we could change that. Okay, Utah's 
GOP has some issues. Right now, there is a lot of infighting. Before the infighting, there were problems with maybe spending more money than they had. And now the GOP chair says he's not going to run for that seat again. Greg, uh, is it time for somebody new to maybe make peace with the party? Or do we not make peace, leave Look, the division? There was, there was a justifiable rift within the Republican Party and really political parties. I think the Democrats would have had would have been more vocal about their frustrations, but they love seeing the, the, the Republicans uh, create this circular firing squad. So they don't want to interrupt the... They the, love the, seeing the, them the, Yeah, they don't yeah. want to see it. But I think, the, I think political parties generally were probably uncomfortable with legislative action that would say to those parties, this is how you're going to nominate your, have your nominee for the general election. And they said, well, we're parties. We should be able to have that decision made ourselves. I was part of the legislative branch that found that compromise to let the caucus convention cycle mm -hmm. continue forward, but also allow people direct access to a primary ballot through gathering signatures. Uh, there were people, again, understandably within the grassroots of political parties in Utah that were frustrated by that. We've had a recent Supreme Court decision, or rather decide not to hear the case that had made its way US up there, Supreme Court. the yeah. U.S. Supreme Court, that I, I think finally gives you closure in terms of whether the legislature had the ability to, to uh, pass a law that way. Uh, the answer to that is that they did and that it is constitutional. And so now, after we finally have that constitutional question answered finally, I think it is time that we, we see the Republican Party come together. I would argue that infighting isn't a formula for success anywhere. Families, businesses, political parties. So the infighting's got to end. I, under, I can completely understand why there was frustration, but we're past that. So maybe a new start. I think we have to have, you have donors that need to give to respective parties. Absolutely. You have a grassroots uh, aspect to your party and you have the elected officials. You all ha it's already hard enough to work together those three, those different uh, participants. But now that we have that kind of that legal argument that's been going on for some time settled, it is truly time to come together. And I think that will be, that'll be good for the state to have a strong Democrat party that is organized and happy and moving forward as well as a Republican and, and Libertarians and the other parties. I love the idea of moving past the caucus because I just don't want to talk politics with my neighbors and yeah. having other options is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Infighting's a problem, though, for Democrats, too. If you look on a national level, I saw in the last election, there was a great divide between the Hillary Clinton camp and the Bernie Sanders camp. And as we look at the 2020 election this time again, it seems like we're going to have that same problem. There's a very leaning socialist side and more maybe middle of the ground Democrats like Biden. be a poop show. Um, I can see it building up show. already. <laughs> and I want to say, you know, the Republicans get all the attention because they're the 900 pound gorilla. The Utah State Democratic Party is facing a lot of challenges and backbiting and issues internally as well. It's the nature of political parties kind of to have this. But what it all boiled down to, to make it simple, is who ought to pick for the Republicans? Who ought to pick the candidates that will represent the Republican Party? And you had this long cadre of three, 4,000 people that had that power, that loved that power, that wanted that power, and then you had all the rest of the people that actually wanted, hey, we don't want just you guys picking them, we wanna have a primary and let everybody vote. And, and, it, and it's boiling it down. I mean, that's what ultimately it came down to. Those were the same ones to. for the Democrats no, and their same caucus one, Same one, same one, same yeah. one, uh, And there, so, there was, if there was an overwhelming support, uh, the 60% used to be 70%, then it did automatically, the top two did go to a primary. Some of our biggest races have always gone to primaries. Uh, but, but you're right, and I think that that's the, that is the optics that 
Do you yeah. want a, a convention to pick people versus the, the public at large? The one thing I do enjoy about the caucus convention cycle, but again, high participation being important so that you're getting a good swath of your communities and, and good perspectives, is that you get to talk, even like this program, you get to get a little deeper than a, than a mailer or a, a radio ad or a TV ad. You get to talk a little bit more specifically. I think that's good in discourse and political discussion to be able to test candidates and really ask them direct questions so that it's not just 30,000 feet above the ground. So I feel it has a role, but I think that if you don't have a lot of strong participation from a lot of people with different perspectives, it can get too myopic. And that's where I see some of my Democrat colleagues in the House who were really getting attacked by Democrat colleagues because they did like Hillary Clinton. They weren't Bernie Sanders, yeah. uh, particularly uh, those, those uh, delegates, and they, were, they weren't supporting Bernie Sanders. So they were getting beat up in, within their own caucuses and convention. And that was, so that's, that's the strident side that you're going to see uh, if you're not having everyone come together and seeing high participation. All right, let's talk about participation. Like that's going to uh, happen okay. in politics. <laughs> and we're all, we're all going to get together. It'll be wonderful. You're just a cynic. You're a cynic. We're going to go that right, direction. Right, Democrats right. are great at selling what they want you to see, though. I went to uh, both the RNC and DNC's summer parties a couple of years ago. And behind the scenes, uh, I think Democrats put on a great show on TV. What they showed on TV, though, was <laughs> not what was happening behind the scenes. There was a serious divide in that arena with uh, the Bernie Sanders supporters and the Hillary Clinton supporters. And those Bernie supporters didn't make it on TV. Hey, and so it was pretty nasty behind I'm gonna the scenes. I'm going to jump off script real quick. Okay, do what it. What do you make of the what I would call anti-Semitic... Uh, comments and messaging that we're seeing around that you have every Democrat Democrat presidential candidate boycotting the national convention that the, the that the political action committee that represents issues related to Israel their APAC they're they're boycotting that and I'm hearing some pretty strident but comments what it's not I'm just a, it's curious not I don't have simple, a take you I know just, the president jumped in today and said in violation of international law uh, the Golan Heights are part of Israel. And if it takes violence to keep them, they ought to be kept. The, the issue is more nuanced. It is, can one say the state of Israel shouldn't be doing this? They shouldn't have gone into Lebanon and done some things there and still be just anti-Israel and not be anti-Semitic. And there's, I don't think the ground is, is completely decided. You find a lot of Israeli people that by the definition that the Trump administration is putting out would be anti-Semitic and, and that's not true. So so, I, I see. So you're saying <clears throat> that it's not it's not being Jewish. It's the it's the state itself that there might be some. It, yeah, you, some you should be able to stand up and say Netanyahu is blah, 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 and not and be, not be anti-Semitic. So but, that's where we've got to. Some of these issues, uh, some of these, they're, they're, they're lands that have been controlled or held by Israel since the 60s. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore in terms of whether we recognize it or not. Yeah. So some of that, um, there's, there seems to be a combative tone towards Israel. When you look at it, it's a Democrat country completely surrounded by people that outwardly say we would love to drive them from the face of the earth. I mean, it's not the safest of atmospheres. No. So I don't know why we don't have a greater understanding or at least a, a, a see them as the ally they've always been. It Israel is a, a tremendous ally in, in democracy, but does that mean that if you don't believe the uh, the capital of Israel is Jerusalem, that you're anti-Semitic? Because the, every president from Harry Truman 
to Barack Obama said no. So does that, do but, you, are, you know you an, are you anti-Semitic is the issue? Uh, or that, can you, do you have a point of I think Tel when they were running, they all said, though, didn't exactly, all? But everyone who exactly. runs says that Jerusalem's the <laughs> rightful capital until you're in office, yeah. and then you got to make that tough Democrats decision. and Republican candidates yeah. alike, Heidi, all said that Jerusalem was the capital, not Tel Aviv, but when they became president, crickets. This was the yeah. first president that said it. And actually, because it's it much well. more nuanced than just to say, yep, we're going to move it. There's a lot of other issues. It's like border security. I feel like when presidents run, they all talk about it, but don't do it. But that's another topic for another day. Utah, we were talking about how it doesn't have a cabinet position, but I think largely we punch above our weight class and we're actually on the possibility list of a 2020 debate here in Utah. The legislature coughed up $2.5 million <laughs> to make it happen. You're not excited about this, look at, look at, We're talking like we're pretending this two and a half million dollars was. Maybe the Democrats will come and maybe the Republicans, whoever wants to come. Like, give me a break. This is two and a half million to try to get the Republican well, candidates. Comes. In. There's both. You do realize uh, this Don't is sell a yourself Republican short, Jim. You, you're going to have great candidates uh, for a, a good debate. If you, you're you, talking about the primary talking or you're talking about the, no, no, no. once I'm they get down to two candidates? Election. Well, then there's no chance oh, I that if the Democrat is going to come to Utah Why? For, on the presidential debate. Well, the word on the streets has it. There's a couple of words on the street uh, that President Trump said he'd had enough of how the debates were working and wouldn't come to Utah when we had one set up last time. Because of the alcohol laws. But that was another <laughs> problem, not the alcohol laws. He doesn't drink, but I've heard behind the scenes that we had a debate. The commission agreed to let us have it. And if you've been to those debates before, there's big like Anheuser-Busch or whoever uh, sponsors these tents outside yeah. and Utah somehow didn't allow it and then we lost it. Do we need a debate? Utah should matter, right? Sure. I think there's there's two cycles. One, as Jim was uh, talking about, the, the, the primary. If you have crowded primaries where you have a lot of candidates, I think there's an excitement there in holding that. We won't have, I don't believe, a crowded Republican primary, but the Democrats, if they wanted to all come and We'll need like six Utah, stages for all of them. I know. It would be exciting. I think that we saw a lot of excitement about having a debate uh, here in Utah. It was going to be nationally televised and everything else, whether it's the primaries, but it would be, I think, especially um, exciting to have one during the presidential election. Look, it's not a it's not like a football where you get a football game where you get a home field advantage. Uh, when they had the debates and, and uh, when Romney and uh, Barack Obama had their debate in Denver, I don't think the city of Denver played a role in how that debate it was handled, but to the community that and all that was going on to have that debate there was a really big deal. And for Western states, I think we all notice when they're close to home. The Democrats yeah. are going to want to reward, as you say, they're going to want to reward a state where they got a shot. So it'll be Nevada, it would be Colorado. They're, they're, I, I can imagine where the Republicans are going to come. And, well, you, know, you are just selling Utah short with Democrats. I can't but believe you do that. we used to look at primary states and Utah didn't matter at all, but I feel like we're getting to the point where we matter some in that we saw in the last election, we saw um, now by Vice President Pence here in Utah, we never used to get stops like that where people thought that there might need to be a last minute swaying going on. We were the ATM for candidates all yeah. along. You know, President Obama might, you know, wave to people out his window after he stopped at a house up in Park City yep. to get cash or the Republicans the same. That you is don't true. Think and it's, it's still happen? pretty much right. that way. I mean, you, you, I was trying to think, we had a candidate er, this early, sometimes the candidates will come and talk to actual people. But I'm telling you for the Democrats, land at the private airport, zoom up by motorcade, go to some rich guy's but, house. But yeah. Think about this, back in March of 16, you had Bernie Sanders at the U, the same day we had Donald Trump, 
in Salt Lake City. In yeah. fact, and both of them and they were, were actually there on the talking. same day, yeah. making their case yeah. to Utahns, trying to win their support. I think, that I, and I don't believe that, that we had seen that kind, we were not in play as a state like that, but to have on the same day, uh, Bernie Sanders a big deal. and Donald Trump here in our state making their case. And who got more people? I can't remember, Greg. You know what, I'll tell you this. The Republican, for, for Donald Trump's event, there were people that had started lining up six hours before that event. I've been to a few of these uh, campaign events. I had never seen anything like that in terms of how many people lined up. The, the number of people at the Donald Trump event was really limited by its venue, where it, you know the U's giant, you could put a lot more people there. Ooh, speaking of the University of Utah, we're gonna go back to colleges. I feel like I'm a little all over the place today, but um, President Trump signed an executive order that really is just sort of a, this is what I want you to know, it doesn't have any teeth to it, to make sure that there's campus free speech. Is this important, Jim DeBacchus? We look at our universities probably as being a bit more liberal than anything when kids are going to college. Should we make sure that the Ben Shapiro's of the world or our students who want to speak up as conservatives can do so? Or should we let them just fight it out and protest the conservatives off campus? You know, I'm an old fashioned First Amendment kind of guy and it really angers some people that I know. But look, you let people talk unless they are advocating violence or, um, or violence. Because in America, all the marketplace of ideas ought to have a place. And those same people that look and say, we want to filter these ideas before they come on our university campuses, I say, well, who's the f who gets to be the filter? Whereas if you let that open market of ideas, let people go, let them say what they're going to say. I was uh, going to university campuses in the in the 80s when they said no homosexuals on our Utah campuses we don't want them there we think that it's wrong it's promoting a lifestyle let the ideas go and they would yeah. have quashed it and and it's difficult sometimes because people are saying things that are just outrageous and annoying but nonetheless let it go it's, it's America how we learn, right yeah, yeah. I, I think you can't I, I think that that executive order that was signed yesterday uh, is actually very significant. I know I've heard some commentary that, hey, First Amendment is protected already. He's just repeating something that is already the case. This is what's going on. As Jim pointed out, the pendulum swings. People have, you know, what they, ex what they deem as acceptable uh, discourse can change over time. If we want to be consistent and fair, you have to have that battle of ideas. You have to be able to allow those things to, to be occur on your campus where they have been stopped is really under this banner of security. Well, we can't have Ben Shapiro come. We can't have someone who's conservative because people get so angry and so mad and it could cause a, a riot. You've got a, you've got a video, you have someone that's going through uh, the, the court system right now. A conservative was on campus talking and a, a, a guy that didn't like what he was saying punched him in the face, just punched him right in the face. It's, it's, it's made national news. There is such a uh, students right now, I think there is this growing culture where if they don't subscribe to what they're hearing, it's, it's, it's unacceptable, it's immoral, you shouldn't be here. And what Jim has said is absolutely true. That pendulum will swing and you don't want to get caught in that trap no. where you're picking what is acceptable and what is not. We, we, have a, we have a college campus atmosphere, I think, right now that is being a lot more restrictive in the freedom of speech and when it's a conservative voice, if there is a good, a great pushback from the student body, or even sometimes from professors, they'll say for security purposes, we're just gonna have to not allow that on our campus. We can't do that. And what that executive order says, hey, if you get into that game, 
you might risk some of your federal funds for your, your schools. And I know those federal funds are important to the schools, so I think they're gonna give it us, they're gonna squint a little closer, they're gonna make sure that they're not, they're not uh, taking away that, that important uh, constitutional protection. And I have. really do hope they do. I mean, I have a daughter in college, you do too, and I want my daughter to sit there and listen to people, not only that she agrees with, but maybe she doesn't understand and understand the better people she disagrees with. This is when they're learning and growing, and they can't think the whole world agrees with them or disagrees with them all the time. So. This is good. Let's all grow while we're in college and listen to everybody. That's right. Or just don't show up if you can't hack it, right? Okay, uh, gravel pits here in Utah. That's a big switch here. This debate has been going on for a very, very long time, especially in Draper. Basically, that end of the mountain there, if they keep mining, well, I guess you can't jump off it with your gliders anymore. Eventually, that happens. But there was a win for the gravel pits, Jim. And is this a good thing or a Look, bad thing? Okay. Everybody understands that a gravel pit that is there and the neighbors move in, oh well, the neighbors knew that when they moved in. What this was is a, when gravel pits want to move on in a neighborhood that's around there. Yeah. And the legislature has this like <laughs> direct from God about private property. You know, you were one of them one day. We just got to remind you. Yeah. I know. Okay. He always <laughs> forgets that Heidi. He was a he was a senator, the House of Lords. Life, <laughs> liberty, Lord. the pursuit of happiness, and our legislature always adds on property rights, like they were included, which they weren't in that in that <laughs> thing. So now you keep hearing them as these gravel pits or these whatever they they have areas that are going to harm neighbors and give cancer to their kids and do things they say it's property rights you know we've got to let gravel pits be gravel pits what about the property rights of the people of the neighbors of the people who live there you don't have a constitutional right to expand your gravel pits and or any kind of pits for that matter to uh, to infect your all the kids in your neighborhood with the dust and the things that come there. It's not a constitutional right. And when it comes down to neighbors' rights or gravel pit rights, leave it every time for the legislatures to side with the gravel pit contributors. All right, is that true? Are the gravel pits the pits, or do people really need to research where they're buying a so house? So I live. This is where I, I live in Draper, and so this has been an issue that's been going on for some time. The uh, the the premise of if you have property. Uh, mm -hmm. that you own and you have uh, you're, you have a gravel pit and people move closer to it uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that the people that own that property should not be able to do what they've been doing before you got there uh, the, the, the the expansion is a little more nuanced in that they're gonna remediate some other areas and make it where it's not being uh, mined or the gravel pits not being used and then they would use their existing land but they would be able to go into another area uh, this had been in front of the Draper City Council a number of times, and it's not gotten anywhere. There's been that appropriate resident pushback. I do think they've done the air quality monitors out there. There's been talk that it might be a health hazard. I do not believe that is the case. It, it does get dusty, though. I mean, that is something that can annoy or can interrupt so your you quality of life. So you dust a lot life. at your house. I don't where I live, but I've I talked to when I was still a representative constituents that lived in, in near there, adjacent to there, that go through that. My thing with the legislature was, look, I, I, didn't, I didn't want them to say to Draper City, you do, you, know, you do something or we're going to have to. State, if you want the liability, you want the, then you, you make the law or you do it how you're going to do it. Don't bring it back to that city council with, a, you know, with, with some threat that you'll do worse if they don't do something. So, I, I, look, I, you never saw the bill when I was there. That's all I'll say. 
Ooh. <laughs> All right, we're gonna leave it at that this week. We still have like an hour's worth of more topics we could talk about, but that's what Take Two next week is all about. Thanks for joining us. I think we've had some fun conversations. Share this. Tell your friends we're here, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great program. I, I'm getting great feedback. I'm sure you are as well. I mean, both of you are. All my friends hate it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not you know supposed why? to let you go. Because we're getting the better of them. That's why I, I have a voice inside my head asking me about the Mueller report. So we're not going to end just yet. Should it fully be released? What do you want to see out of it? Yeah. Are there reasons to hide any of it? No, you would only want to redact the things that would uh, threaten national security or processes that Department of Justice or the special uh, prosecutors used uh, that would uh, not that would undermine, uh, you know, our law enforcement's efforts in terms of investigation powers. But beyond that, even the president himself has said, "Let this be public." If you didn't make it public, everybody would assume the worst. I have, I have a jaundiced eye towards all of this. I think this whole dossier and this whole FISA came from a, a Hillary Clinton-inspired and paid-for uh, opposition report, uh, opposition research report. I think that there's a there's selective logic and outrage being applied here. There's, um, and so I, I'm fatigued by this. I think that if you look at the, the, the confidential text and the communications between Lisa May, that was the deputy, uh, or was the uh, legal counsel for the deputy director of the FBI, the tension they were feeling with the Justice Department who was telling them on the Clinton issue, Hillary Clinton issue, to drop it even though they thought there was merit there. Looking at how they felt about uh, the candidate Trump and how visceral they were in their opposition and if anyone says they can hate them but they'll always be fair ask yourself this question if you knew the refs coming into a game to ref the game that your team was playing hated your team's guts do you think those refs would necessarily would you be okay with that would that be a comfortable place to be as a fan if you knew the refs refing the game didn't like your team at all i think that there is justifiable pause and concern about what we're reading that the people at the heart of this investigation, how they felt about this president when he was a candidate and how it was continued on into his presidency. But all that said, let it be public. Daylight, is it the de best disinfectant? Is it good? Should we see all this, Jim? If we think we're going to see that, the way the process goes, uh, Mueller turns the whole report over to the attorney general. He's saying he's going to let the White House see it first. Are you kidding me? You believe Donald J. Trump? You believe the guy who said, well, I didn't have sex with that woman. I didn't pay her That's any. Uh, 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 no, right I, I'm saying he he just so <laughs> pathologic liar. I, 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 I want to say, who do you believe? Do you believe Robert Mueller and the FBI and the institutions that have been there so long? Or do you believe that the lying president and, you know, go where you want. They're spinning it already. I, we could do a whole we could do a whole podcast on this topic alone. The people that that Robert Mueller surrounded himself with to investigate this were people that worked for and on behalf of Hillary Clinton before people that supported her in her campaign. Again, you could look at the players here and you would at least be left with some skepticism in terms of was this just a straight down the middle uh, inquiry. I don't think it was. Do you agree at all that the refs might be biased no. here? It's two FBI agents that were out of hundreds that investigated this that were having an affair and they said some chit chat back and forth. And this is poisoning the water of the report. The spin is already going. We don't even know what's in the report. The deputy director of the FBI McCabe got fired before he retired because he lied. You have, you have so many examples of behavior that is just 
not acceptable. Who do you it believe? It's glazed over. Who do you believe? The, the FBI or Trump. Trump? That's what we'll see. Uh, McCabe got fired. You can't. There's no. There's no other way to look at that. Maybe Trump got will fired. get fired. <laughs> All right. By next week, we might know whether it's been released. Jim, your money's on it. I got a copy. It. Do you want it? Be, you, you have it in your yeah, pocket. I, I can see. Yeah, I got it. Here. Did you do part oh, of I the review? I can't let you see. All right. It. Is it going to be released or no? I. You know, everyone's talking like it's coming soon. Who knows? I. I don't know. And I. Like I said, I. I, I'm skeptical of the entire uh, experience that we've seen here. I, it, it, I, it needs to end. I don't know when that will ever happen. Everybody that's made a prediction has been wrong, so who am I to, to join that crowd? But I think it has to end soon. I think you can only beat that dead horse uh, so many times. All right. Will the dead horse be released this week? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, okay. All right. Are there any other questions from the voice inside my head before we officially wrap? Take no, she two? has an earpiece on. I want. I, I don't do. want you to think <laughs> that that's anything more complicated. All right, than we that. are good. I've heard. <laughs> I do have an earpiece. No actual voice inside my head. All right, that is it for us. Happy Friday, everyone. Thanks for listening. Share with your friends, family, and even people you don't like. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. I could hear someone talking in my.